Now, we uh, are going back into the book of John. We're starting John back up again. We took a break for a while, and uh, we are in a very pivotal part. And this is interesting to me um, for a number of reasons. First of all, we, we have Jesus before Pilate. This is what's coming up. And getting the historical context is really important. I don't know about you. If you're like me, if you've ever read that whole, uh, and it's, it's about 30, 40 verses of the confrontation with uh, Pilate and the Pharisees, and uh, not the Pharisees, the Sadducees actually, and, um, and Jesus, at times you read it and you go, I don't understand what's going on. Why did he say that? What does that mean? It, it can be difficult. And, I, and I'm hoping that today we'll be able to get, begin to understand better what is going on during this exchange that seems a bit confusing, seems hard to understand. So to do that, and we're going to be talking, this is a power encounter. This is, this is where, you know, it's a, like tectonic plates meet and, and, a, and, a, and a, suddenly a tsunami happens. This is, this is a huge power encounter that's going, to go, that's going to happen here. So we need to refresh ourselves a few things that we've talked about in the past and a few things maybe we haven't talked about to give us this historical context, to give us the cultural context of what is going on. Rome is in charge of, of Jerusalem, of Israel, of Judea, and uh, the, the local person in charge there in, in the Jerusalem area is Pilate. The Caiaphas and the uh, Sadducees are bringing Jesus to him. Now, there is a real history with these two people, a real history with Pilate and, and Caiaphas and, and the Sadducees. So first thing we need to remember is the Jews cannot, by law, Roman law, they cannot carry out the death penalty, all right? And if you remember, we look back in Deuteronomy at a prophecy concerning that. And the prophecy was that when the nation of Israel loses the ability to carry out the death penalty, that means the Messiah has come. That is the sign of Shiloh. The Messiah has come when the scepter is taken, the scepter of rule, which symbolizes the ability even to take a life. And we, we've talked about that some. So the Jews have lost the ability to take a life, right? So we got to remember something else. Why is Pilate here? Right? Normally, the Romans allowed locals to rule their captured lands to try to keep everything under control, but there were serious problems with the Jews, so they sent someone from Rome, Pilate. He was sent there, and the, his marching orders are this. Get in charge of these people. No problems. We don't want any problems. All Rome wants is collect the taxes. Make the money flow to Rome. No interruptions. That's your job, Pilate. And that's his job. No trial. Why? Because if, if, there's, if there's an insurrection and Rome has to send one of their legions, that's incredibly expensive for Rome. And suddenly the expense of putting down this insurrection is greater than what they'll get out of it. And so the whole point is keep things under control. We want no problems. We want no insurrections. We want no wars. We just want the money to flow. All right. So that's why Pilate is there. Pilate is a Roman, so this is not necessarily where he wants to be. This is a stepping stone to greater things. Sometimes people would be sent to areas. If they got it under control, they came back to Rome and they were given more authority, more wealth, more honor. So there, that's what's happening there. Pilate also always wanted the Jews to know that he was in charge. Early in his reign, 
he set up some banners in Jerusalem that had the image of Tiberius Caesar. And when he did that, the Jews went crazy. Why? Because no graven image. That's just in, that's in their blood, right? From the very beginning, right? From the first five books of the Bible. No graven image. And Tiberius was considered a god. No graven image. The Jews came to him and said, you cannot do this. You cannot do this. And Pilate told them, I don't care. I'm in charge. So the Jews kept complaining and there were rumblings. And finally he said, okay, I want all the leaders. And this happened when Jesus was approximately a teenager. I want all the leaders of the Jewish nation to meet me in this amphitheater, hundreds of leaders, and you will state your case and I will rule. So they thought, okay, he's gonna, maybe he's going to relent. So they all came in and he closed the doors and suddenly the place was full of these hundreds of, 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 of Jews. Suddenly there was all these Roman soldiers with their swords out. And he said, if you don't stop complaining about this, I'm going to kill every one of you right now. Hundreds of Jewish leaders. And you know what they did? They all kneeled down and they bared their neck and they said, kill us. We won't change. Kill us. And all of a sudden, Pilate realized, if I do that, there will be a war and I will be in so much trouble. And so he relented. He let them go and the banners came down. And it was then that the Jews knew, we got him. We have power over Pilate. They were empowered by this. Not long after that, because he realized what he'd done, he tried to do it on a much lesser scale. Same thing. They, uh, we have a, a letter. There is a letter that uh, was found uh, through Pliny the Younger to about Tiberius. Uh, King Agrippa was involved in this too. The Jews came and said, nope, even on this smaller scale, you can't do this. And then the Jews started chanting. They started taunting Pilate. It says they chanted, do not cause a revolt. Do not cause a war. And they chanted this over and over to him, letting him know, you don't, rene- you don't pull back on this one, it's going to be a war. Just what you were sent here to not do will happen. He relented again. Now, Pilate had ways where he got back at it. And this is all, this, this helps us. This is the background for this power uh, play that's going to be going on here. One of the things he did was he sent his soldiers into the temple and they stole all, uh, all this gold out of the temple to help build a public project. And uh, the Jews complained and he told them, tough. And the reason was because he knew this project was named after Tiberius Caesar. And so that if he wrote Caesar and said, they're complaining because I built something in your honor, Caesar would side with him. So, so, so uh, Pilate got back at him this way and he had uh, other ways that he did too. So now you got a little background for what's going to happen here. The Sadducees hated, hated Pilate and Pilate hated them. And yet they had to kind of work together to make things work in that country to keep the taxes flowing because Sadducees were pocketing some of that. All right. So these two groups, they never wanted the other to get the upper hand. They never wanted to do what the other one wanted. That's why when we look at this passage, what we see is two groups, two people playing political chicken with each other, daring each other, go ahead, do it. Never realizing, never, and this is what is so important in this passage, never realizing that what they were doing was fulfilling a plan that was going to glorify God 
that was going to bring, up, bring about our salvation, that was going to bring glory and honor to people all over the world because they got into this. So let's start looking at this. In uh, chapter uh, 18, verse 28, it says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, to Pilate. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? They said, If he were not a criminal, they replied, We would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. All right, so already now, let's look at some things here that show us this power encounter that's going on. First thing is, trials usually happened inside the governor's palace. But because of ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews stopped outside his door and made Pilate come to them. You see what's going on there? They made him come out to them. So already, they're going at it. Already, you can tell, Pilate's teeth are on edge because he's been forced into something he didn't want to do. They, they, they said, ah, ceremonial uncleanness. Now, let me just remind you, this is in dealing with this. Ceremonial uncleanness is not something that is in the Bible for this thing, going into a Gentile's house. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had this rule. This is one of the rules that they had put together and saying, you'll be unclean if you step foot in a Gentile's house. Scripture doesn't say that. They just decided. That's why Jesus called them blind guides. That's why Jesus said they clean the outside of the cup and the inside is filthy. That's why Jesus said you strain gnats and you swallow camels because they had all these rules that they made. Why did they make all these rules? They would heap these rules on people, burdens that a normal person couldn't keep and couldn't afford to keep. See, that's the key. They couldn't afford to keep. What is going on here? They have these rules that only they can keep because they're rich and they can afford to do this. And that gives them power because it's all about power to them. And Jesus is telling them, you, you don't know God. You've missed it. You're blind guides. So Pilate is forced to come out. And so he's not wanting to do anything already. And he asked them the question that is the standard question of the beginning of a Roman trial. What are the charges? In other words, what is he saying? Does this concern me? That's what he's saying. I don't even want to be out here. I don't even want to be talking to you guys. So what's the deal? What's going on? And do you notice there, when you look at it, at verse uh, 30, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Do you notice what they don't say? The charges. They don't say the charges because they know they're on shaky ground here. We know, we know something about this. In Acts chapter 18, there's a passage where the Jews bring Paul and, and the, Roman, uh, the Roman governor says, well, this isn't a Roman law that's been broken. This is a Jewish law. Get out. See, Jewish law doesn't apply when Pilate's involved. And so they don't want to tell him what the charge is because he'll, he'll say, get out. They have the right to judge him. They have the right to punish him, but not put him to death. And so we see this going in, in this back and forth. In, in verse 32, it says, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. 
This is, this is key because this shows us, this, and we're going to see this all through this passage. John keeps reminding us who's in charge here. God's in charge here. That's what he keeps wanting us to see. Uh, and he's, in verse 32, that's one of the things that it's showing us. In Isaiah 53, there is a graphic dis- depiction of, of Jesus' death. It was written around 700 B.C., long before the Persians invented uh, crucifixion and long before the Romans perfected it. We see the kind of death. And so this is what prophecy is being fulfilled. Scripture is being fulfilled. Deuteronomy 21, it says, Cursed is one who hangs on a tree, a person that's killed on wood. And the, the crucifixion is key for them because this will bring in that curse and it will prove this is not the Messiah. It will shame Jesus in the way that he died. And so we see in verse 32, this took place to fulfill what Jesus said about the kind of death he's going to die. We see scripture is being fulfilled. Now, I want to stop every once in a while. This is one of those times and just say, let's, let's think about this. What does, how does this apply to us? Look at what's going on, all right? The disciples feel like it's the end of the world. Everything they ever believed in is coming crashing down all around. Jesus has been arrested and he's going to be put to, put to death. And yet, what is going on here? God has planned this out. He is in charge. Think about this when you think about what you're stressed about in your life right now. This dwarfs it. He knows what he's doing in your life right now. God is working. He is working. In the things that are difficult for you right now, God is working. In the people, possibly, who are, are, are uh, giving, giving you trouble, giving you pain in your life, God is working. Trust him. Trust him. In the middle of this situation, which if we didn't know the end, we would say, this is hopeless. This is the end. Nothing good could come out of this. And what comes out of it? The greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. So trust him. God has brought two of the most powerful groups in Israel together to accomplish his plan, even though they hate each other and they want to foil each other every step of the way. Verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? 34. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. All right, so now we move to the next step. First thing that happens, trial is supposed to take place in an area where there, there can be witnesses and it can all be judged in front of people. And what does Pilate do? He removes himself. He's snubbing the Jews. This is one more thing that he's doing to say, I'm in charge. You're not in charge. They're fighting over this power. And so he goes inside and he calls Jesus in and he's going to talk to Jesus about this trial with no witnesses around, without the Jews there to say he's lying or anything like that. So he's doing something that wouldn't normally be done in a Roman trial. And why? Because he's wanting to get their goat. He's getting back at them. You made me walk out here. I'm going back inside 
What are you going to do about that? Come on in. Come on in. It's unclean. He knows what he's doing. So he doesn't question Jesus when they're watching. They want a quick trial with themselves as witnesses, and he's slowing things down. He doesn't give them a chance to be involved or even just to hear what he's saying. And in verse 33, when Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, many scholars, and I looked this up with a number of them, would say it's kind of, it kind of could be said this way. So you're the king of the Jews, are you? Like Pilate's going, I'm not real impressed. I've heard about you. He has spies everywhere. He's heard about Jesus. But he doesn't seem, he's like, really? In verse 34, Jesus seems to be saying, you know, uh, did you just hear about me? Or are you interested in what I have to say? Are you asking because people told you? Are you asking for yourself? And I think this is very interesting because Jesus now, he asked Jesus a question and what does Jesus do? He flips it and starts questioning him. Pilate's going, man, this is not going the way I expected it. The person that's on trial for death is asking me questions. But Pilate, it's interesting because um, Jesus here is kind of making Pilate think. He says, is it just because they said something and you're doing it? Or are you really interested in me? Do you think this is a judicial issue? Some abstract issue? What do you think, Pilate? He's pushing him. I think this is another point of application. Christianity requires that we make a decision. No one can make it for us. You must decide for yourself concerning the claims of Christ. You must decide for yourself what you believe. And then you live on the basis of what you decide. And it shows in your life. In verse 35, Jesus is saying, verse 34, Jesus is saying, think, Pilate, think. Do you want to know about me? And Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own people, your chief priests, they've handed you over to me. What is it you have done? So in verse 35, Pilate, he's showing, he thinks this is just some little minor religious squabble and it has no bearing. He says, your people are the Jews and somehow they're the ones that are against you. I'm not in this fight. What have you done? What is Pilate saying there? Partly what he's saying is, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. What did you really do? What is really behind this? What have you done that angers your own people so much? And all the while, Pilate wants out of this. He does not, he wants a way out. He could care less about Jesus, the man in front of him. He wants to stick it to the chief priests. Remember, they have told him they, 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 I should say, they have not told him the crime. They've only told him they want him to put Jesus to death. And Pilate does not want to do what they want. He doesn't care about Jesus. He just doesn't want to kill Jesus because that's what they want. Not because he's innocent. Again, this power is the issue here. That's what's going on here. We have to understand that. And in verse 36, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus is saying, my kingdom is different. You guys are in this power encounter. My kingdom is a whole different kind of thing. It's not what you think. Because if it was the kind of power that you think it is, there'd be a war going on right now. He said, it's a spiritual kingdom. Again, Jesus is saying, think, Pilate. There would be war in the streets if I wanted power like you think power is supposed to be. 
Jesus is reasoning with him. This is amazing to me. Jesus knows he's going to die. And it's like he's still trying to reason with Pilate. It reminds me of the Last Supper. Remember, we were looking at the Last Supper. Two different times, Jesus tries to tell Judas, come back. Don't do this. There's hope for you. And he's doing the same thing with Pilate. He says, it's not what you think. It's not that kind of power. Think, Pilate. Think what this is about. In verse 37, he says, you are a king then. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So you can imagine, Pilate's in this power uh, this, this power confrontation. And they're going back and forth. And he's thinking in terms of who has the upper hand. He's thinking in terms of who has the power. Who has the power of life and death? Who has the power here? And this is confusing. But Jesus is going outside of all these boundaries. He's saying, no, I'm not about power. But I am kind of a king. But Pilate's thinking the purpose of a king is to take over. The purpose of a king is they rule by force if they have to. War is always about political power. The power to get people to do what you want. And Jesus, is, the inference of his reply is this. I am ultimate truth. You should listen to me. You should listen to me. Because I have the truth. I am the truth. You remember when Jesus was arrested, he told Peter, put away your sword. This is not how my kingdom advances. My servants do not wage war in my name. That's not how hearts change. And Jesus is saying, I do have a kingdom. I am a king. I'm here to change the way people live in this world. You see, Christianity is not just a private thing. It's not just an inward thing. There's this misconception that it's just about inward peace and joy and, 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 and groovy vibes in your private life, right? <laughs> I just said groovy vibes. <laughs> Anybody who is listening to this without seeing it is going, that man grew up in the 60s. <laughs> we can tell right now that man just said groovy. Okay, you know what I mean. I just lost it. Now, Jesus is about... It's not inward. It's about changing how people live. Jesus says, I'm all about the truth. And, th and this is because when he says, I came for this, I was born for this. The Greek emphasizes the preexistence of Jesus. He's saying, I came for this. I planned it. Think about it. you. Pilate must be reeling, right? He's the governor. He's the one who has life and death in his hand. And he's got this man saying, I got this all planned. You don't have a choice. What? This must be really getting to him. And why is it? Because Jesus is begging him to listen and think. Because truth is key. To judge someone is to, to declare the truth about them. And Jesus is saying, I'm speaking the truth. Are you going to listen? Because the truth of Jesus outlasted the Roman Empire. Truth is greater than the sword. Always. 
And so for us, let's think about us. We're the people of the truth. We stand for the truth. We stand for the truth even when it goes against the culture around us. Because Christianity at its core has always been countercultural, has always upset cultures. The early Christian communities, they changed the world with their countercultural message. And, and they, they, people didn't know what to do with them because there were, in some ways, that Christians were way more conservative than the culture around them, especially in the areas, in, in that early, especially in the areas of sex and, and the family. The culture of that day dealt with unwanted children by simply allowing them to die, putting kids out. Baby was born. You didn't want it. You just put it out. Okay, that horrifies us. That was totally normal. You have to understand that. Totally normal, an unwanted child. And it was almost always females because males were considered economically more advantaged than females. And it was perfectly legal. Number, I looked up a couple different historians and it came out about the same. They estimated at that time in the world, it was 140 men to every 100 women. That was a killing of babies on a scale we can't even imagine. And the Christian church said, no, this is sin. The Christian church stood up and said, no. Also, men were totally allowed to sleep around and have mistresses and cheat on their wife. In fact, it wasn't even thought, thought of as cheating because it was accepted and it was expected. Meanwhile, women were not allowed to do this. They had to remain true just to their husband, regardless of what he did. And I can't emphasize enough, it was totally accepted. And we would think that women were chafing under this, but they, un they just accepted it in those days. It was the way things were. Boys will be boys. It was just normal. And that's hard for us to wrap our mind around. Normal, throwing baby girls out in the woods and leaving them for the animals to eat them. Leaving them on the side of the road just so that they'll die in front of everyone and no one cares. It's normal. Men sleeping around. And the women had, couldn't, this incredible power imbalance, and it was normal. And the Christian church stood up and said, no, this is wrong. The Christian said, you have to remain true to each other. There's no sex outside of marriage for anyone. Now, what happened because of that? Families flourished. Women suddenly were protected and safe. Women realized that this set them free and they flocked to the church. And these were ideas that seemed so conservative to that culture. And then there were ideas that, that seemed so liberal in their thinking and their actions. Why? The truth changed how they related to each other and the world. The gospel says everyone is a sinner and saved by grace. Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Man, when that sinks in, it is revolutionary because it means the playing field is equal for all people. All people, the playing field is equal. This broke the cultural rules of the day concerning status and position and classes and races. It was considered an attack on the status quo, this Christian idea 
that we're all equal at the foot of the cross was revolutionary. In fact, so much so that even in the book of Acts and in, in other places in Roman writings, we see them saying, these people turn the world upside down. We have this nice, comfortable world that's working just fine, thank you. And these Christians come in and go bloop and mess everything up. For that, they deserve to die. And Christians also gave radically to others, which was considered an incredibly liberal idea. It was unheard of. Charity was, was something that was just not much in those days. Why? Because why give to these people? They deserve what they got somehow. If they're poor, they deserve it somehow. That was what they believed. If this person, if this person was maimed in an accident, they're being paid back for something they did. They deserve it. If this person was born this way, their parents must have sinned. They deserve it. They deserve it. So why should I help them? I'm getting in the way if I help them. So charity was an incredibly rare thing. And if there was charity, it was to your family, to your clan, to the people that you went to temple with. It was close-knit and close-by, and Christians gave radically. And they gave to everyone. They gave to people who weren't Christians. And we have a letter. Um, I think it was Pliny the Younger who wrote a letter saying, this is wrong. They're giving to our people. We shouldn't let them do that. So it was, it was considered liberal. Christians did things that alienated people in multiple directions. One historian wrote this. He said, to cities filled with homeless and the impoverished, which was very natural in those days, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with widows and orphans, Christianity offered a new and expanded sense of family. To cities filled and torn with ethnic strife, it offered a new basis of social solidarity. It was attractive to people except those in power. Christianity was something that people looked at, and even if they, I don't believe in their God, but man, that's good. That's good. Because the truth of God, when it's put in action by God's people, is attractive to people. They see something in it. So Pilate's reply of what is truth, he missed the whole point. Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Pilate and the chief priests, they both missed it totally. And so Pilate looks face to face with ultimate truth and turns and walks away. And it says with this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for, for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no. Not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So what's going on here? Not even a week ago, the Jews had welcomed Jesus as the Messiah. But he didn't do what they wanted him to do. And so now they're yelling, crucify him. They're saying, we'll take Barabbas because we know Barabbas fought the Romans. We know Barabbas killed Romans. At least he tried. Jesus has done nothing. Too many times when God does not do what people want, they reject him because they do not understand the scope of what he's doing. That can happen in our lives too. I don't know how many times I've, and, and, and I've, I felt this way, but how many times people have said to me, well, I prayed about this, God didn't do it. I don't think he's real. 
He didn't do what I wanted. He didn't do what I wanted. And when you think about that, that's such a crazy way to live. I mean, how many children, parents, your kids ask you sometimes for crazy things. How stupid would it be for you to give them what they wanted? Years ago, when my oldest son was five, we went to a go-kart place and he sat in my lap. I worked the pedals and he drove. And when we were on the way home, he said, Dad, can I get a car? I mean, he thought he had it. He had it all down. What a, what a dope. <laughs> of course, he's just like me. So, you know, it comes by it honest. But, but yeah, and so people go, oh, why won't you give him a car? Put blocks on the pedals so his little legs can reach him. No, no, he can't drive. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I say no. Oh, you're the worst dad in the world, right? How many parents have heard that? You're the worst parent in the world. That same son came home to us in middle school and said, I took a poll with my whole class. You're the strictest parents in the whole class. I said, yes. I said, son, thank you. He was looking at me like, wait, what? He thought I was going to vote. Oh, I am. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I wear that. Can I get a, like a badge or something for that? Right? So not even a week ago, Jesus doesn't do what they want. And they're like, well, well, then we'll take Barabbas. At least he did what we wanted. At least he tried. So we move into chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe. They went up to him again and again saying, hail, king of the Jews. And then they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And when the Jews, when the Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Then the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. So what's, we see this acting out. It's very, something we're very familiar with in this. Pilate doesn't, he doesn't want to do this. So he has Jesus flogged, thinking that will be enough. And they're yelling, crucify, crucify. Things look like they could get ugly. Pilate knows he's walking a tightrope here. So he says to them, oh, you do it. You do it. Because if they do it, he has them. Because they've broken Roman law. If they crucify Jesus, they have broken Roman law. They've taken a life they have no right to take. And he can write to Tiberius and say, I'm sorry, you may get a letter from these people, but this is what happened. They broke our law. And he knows Tiberius will be on his side with that. And so he's taunting them. He, they're not going to do it because they understand that. But there's this back and forth. So finally, they admit to the charge, which is not a capital offense concerning Rome. They have admitted to Pilate that this is not punishable by death, by Roman law. It's our law that says he should be punishable by death. So, so Pilate is perfectly reasonably, if he's interested in the truth, if he's interested in justice, he should stop the whole thing now and say, that's not a law that I have anything to do with. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he knows he's in a tough spot. There may be trouble. They are really set on this. It's kind of like, almost like he's seen that look before when they all bowed their neck. They're like, we're not 
backing up on this one. We're not giving an inch on this one. And also, the charge of blasphemy is to claim to be the Son of God. It's the height of sacrilege for a Jew. But remember, we're dealing with Pilate now. He's a Roman. He believes in the Greek gods. Saying you're the Son of God is not something you trifle with. Why? Because there's a history of the gods, the same thing, the male gods coming down to earth, impregnating women. And what is born? A demigod, like a Hercules. There's a history of this. So when they say he claims to be the son of God, Pilate's going, okay, because it means something different to him than it does to them. Pilate doesn't go, oh, that's horrible. It means something different. So look at this, verse eight. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? You see what he's saying? What am I dealing with here? I'm a little nervous right now. Because I've heard that you did miraculous things. The other demigods do miraculous type things, feats of strength, incredible things. I've heard you have, and I'm a little afraid that I may incur the wrath of the gods. This is a, this is a real possibility here. And so he says, where are you from? Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. This is something that's so interesting during the whole, every time Jesus could get himself off, he says nothing. Every time Jesus should say nothing, he talks, he teaches, he does the exact opposite. If Jesus was, re if he really wanted to get out of this, he could have said, yeah, I am. I'm a, I'm a son of Zeus. And Pilate would be like, okay, we got to deal with it. I got to make sure you're not just some, but everything would stop because that's big stuff. Because he'd heard about these miraculous deeds. And he's wondering what he's dealing with here. So when he heard this, he was more afraid. He said, where do you come from? He asked Jesus. Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Okay, here's the heart of the matter now. Remember, it's all about power. And Pilate says, don't you realize who you're dealing with here? I have the power. And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to get Jesus set free, set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone, anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So what does Jesus say? He says, don't you realize I have the power? And Jesus goes, you don't have the power. I mean, you do, but it's just been given to you from above. What is he saying? There's a plan here. There's a plan here. You're just a part of it. It's gonna happen. Now, they have even greater, because being Jews, they were privy to all the prophecies. They've really committed a grave sin. But you're in this too. You are responsible for what you're doing. God is working in this world to accomplish his plans. 
but we are responsible for the actions that we take. Even if it doesn't thwart its plans, we are responsible for how we live and the actions we take. And he's saying to Pilate, you only got what's given to you. You are responsible for what you're doing. Again, it's like, think, Pilate. Think about what you're doing. And so he gets back at it. He talks to him like that. He says, Pilate's, you know, you can almost imagine maybe Pilate screaming, I'm the power of Rome. And Jesus is saying, nope, God put you here. Tiberius didn't put you here. I put you here. This is how, this is how I will bear witness to the truth. This is how he's going to bear witness to the truth that he just talked about truth. How is he going to do it? He teaches, he heals, he feeds, but also he's going to bear witness to the truth by dying on the cross. And then he comes out, and now you can see Pilate is getting a little desperate because he, he's saying, look, there's, there's nothing. There's no, this is nothing. Why are you guys doing this? There's nothing. And then they say, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, that's just not saying you're no friend of Caesar or anything like that. That's saying, hey, we can write a letter. We've done it before. And you will get yanked out of here because you're not fulfilling the jobs that Tiberius sent you. And the other thing is, is you're no friend of Caesar. We're going to tell Tiberius, and Tiberius was known. History is noted. He, is, he was one of the more paranoid of the leaders of Rome, always looking for someone who was trying to assassinate him, always believing that people, people were trying to rise up against him. Some of his friends might turn on him. And so we're going to write a letter. You're no friend of Caesar. We're going to say there was a guy who claimed to be king of the Jews and you didn't do anything about it. You're in league with him and you're going to take this part, part of, of Rome, of this part of, of the Roman Empire over. That's what we're going to do. You're in trouble. And so they go right, they, you know, it's kind of like they went nuclear on him. They said, we're going to tell, just like when you were a little kid, I'm telling mom, don't you tell me. You know how that, so this is what's going on here. And so Pilate, when he heard this, he knew the game was up. He's trapped. And yet he still wants to get in, some, 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 just get back at them some. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in the Arabic is Gabatha. And it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Now he knew that would make them so angry. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. It's interesting, Pilate pushed them and pushed them and pushed them until they said something that no Jew would normally say. We have no king but Caesar? And a nation that prided itself for never being under the thumb of a king, always having God as their king. We have no king but Caesar. They said something that would be incredible. And Pilate relented. Pilate asked what truth was while he was standing in front of the incarnation of truth. He sacrificed truth for security. And he lost both. It wasn't long after that that Pilate was recalled to Rome and shamed because he'd done such a poor job. It wasn't long after this, this trial with Jesus, when the nationalistic 
uh, fervor of the Jews grew and uprising after uprising after uprising started until finally, about 40 years later, Rome came down and just decimated them, utterly desolated the place and killed a huge portion of the Jewish society. Truth was looking at him in the face and he walked away. For some of us, there are times, maybe now, that you may be staring at truth in the face. And the question is, are you going to walk away? Or are you going to accept the truth? Two other things I just want to mention that I think are applicable to us. The first is this. This trial is your assurance of God's delight in you. His love for you. Hebrews 12, I talk about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. For the joy set before him, and that's you, and that's me. That's our salvation. He endured. For the joy set before him, he went through this charade of a trial and did not save himself, even though he could. Scripture tells us he could have called legions of angels, but even he didn't even defend himself verbally when he could have. He could have told Pilate, you don't have to worry, man. I'm not going to set up a kingdom. You don't have to worry. And he tried to tell him that. But he could have, Pilate was saying, what are you here for? You could, he, any, any number of times where Jesus remained silent, he could have said something that would have got him off the hook. But he didn't. He didn't defend himself verbally, even when he could have. You ever have that happen to you? You, 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 you defend yourself verbally even, even when you know there's nothing you can do. Maybe, maybe um, it's happened to you as a kid, maybe as an adult. Maybe things aren't going well and you lash out knowing that it'll make you feel good. It doesn't make a difference, but it just makes you feel a little better to have laughed, lashed out. Maybe at work and there, someone's critical of something that you proposed at work, right? And it, and it kind of hurts. And so you know your proposal's shot but it's just this little temptation to say, you know, your proposal sucks too. Just to get a little dig in, right? Just to get a little dig in. Or maybe once you cook something for dinner and your wife says, well, that was a good first try, but I'm really not that hungry. So you say, the meatballs you made the other day weren't that good either. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. I didn't eat very many and I was hungry. This is totally made up. Don't look at my... Don't look at my wife for confirmation. Jesus didn't do that. That would have been the easiest thing to do. Just to defend himself some. Even if this doesn't stop the crucifixion. Defend himself some. Say something. But he doesn't. What does he do? He says, think, Pilate. Think. Think who's in front of you. We're talking truth here, Pilate. What do you think? Let me talk to you. Pilate won't have it. This whole trial Jesus went through for you. And the cross is coming. This trial, the cross is coming. Salvation is at hand and Jesus goes willingly. The second thing I think we can think about, because if we grapple with that, it can change us. But we also can grapple with this, what I said, this whole passage is about power. Who has the power? Pilate thought he had the power. Caiaphas and the chief priests, they believed they had the power. But ultimately, Jesus had the power. Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to become greater than you can imagine. I'm going to be more powerful than you can imagine. Your abuse of power will enable me to show what power is for. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to love. Everyone here in this room, you have some kind of power. 
I don't know what it is, but all of you have some kind of power. Power at work. Power in the home. If you have, if you have children at home, power in the home. Whatever it may be, it was a power that was given to you by God. And you can go the Pilate Caiaphas way, or you can go the Jesus way with your power. The Holy Spirit can give you the ability to use it wisely, whether it's political power, whether it's power in the workplace, whether it's power as a parent, doesn't matter. You have some sort of power and you can use that power to love others. You can use that power to serve others. You can use that power to empower others or you can use it for yourself. And Jesus says, Walk like I walk. Live like I live. Go into the world. Live this way. With the power that's given to you, love others, serve others, empower others, and watch the world change. This is how we're going to change our world. This is how we're going to bring up there, down here, is when we live that way. This is what we have to do as followers of Jesus Christ. It said earlier, it starts with this moment of decision. This moment of decision that, that, that and Jesus is saying, think, what do you believe? What do you believe? Come to me, accept me. And then our life changes and he empowers us to work and change other people's lives. There is nothing you can spend your time on this earth that is better than, than changing people's lives for eternity. Nothing, everything else pales in comparison. And this is what is before us. We see this power encounter. And Jesus shows, this is the way of power for my people. Like he said to, said to Pilate, there would be a war in the streets if I wanted that kind of power. But that's not the power of changing hearts. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we see this, this trial. And this is basically a transcript of it. And yet we see within it, between the lines, we see the humanity of this power encounter of people believing that what they can get for themselves. And this one man who stands alone and all he's thinking about is what he can give to others. Father, help us to be that kind of a person. Help us to see opportunities to do that. Opportunities to serve, opportunities to love, opportunities to empower other people, to bring power and glory into their lives in a beneficial way that will draw them closer to you. Lord, this is the most important thing in the world. This is what you've charged us to go do. Help us to be uh, people who serve you and wisely, serve you faithfully, and do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.